Wow, it is, it is so good to be back with you again, and um, <laughs> I feel now a little bit like, have you ever gone to a nice restaurant, and uh, your eyes are a little bit bigger than, you know, your budget, but you order an appetizer, and then there's something after salad, and then by the time the entree comes, you're, you're, not, you're not hungry anymore? That's how I feel right now. So if it's okay with you, I'll just close in prayer, we'll bring the worship team back up, we'll go home. <laughs> Hope there wasn't too many amens to that. Um, but again, thank you for the invitation to be back. I have really, really uh, just learned to love Pastor Aaron and Pastor Greg and have gotten to know a number of you, have stayed in some of your homes. Uh, these last couple of years have been just amazing. Uh, you, you really are on the cutting edge. I don't know how long all of you have been part of this church, but evangelism shift is a new thing for the United States. And so you, along with Faith Bible Church, are really taking a step of faith, and your leaders have stepped out. Uh, a number of you went through year one with us, and I hope that you're learning how to live the life of a witness. I'm just curious, of those of you who are here, how many of you are, are in a life-to-life -life group? Just raise your hand real high. Man, that is awesome. Uh, and, and I've been in a couple myself, and leading one, and participating in one. And is it, is it just life-changing to begin to think and, and live in such a way where you're like, you're always wondering, Lord, when's the next opportunity to make a connection with a neighbor or a friend or maybe somebody even random? And so I hope that you're experiencing that as well. And so thank you. Thank you for the worship. Thank you for the opportunity to be here again. And so I, I appreciate that. I don't even know how much time I have. Am I like 10 minutes or 30 minutes or when I'm supposed to quit, would you all just get up and go and... No, I, I'll, I'll honor your time as well. Can I pray again briefly, and then I'll, I'll dive into God's Word. Father, it is a privilege to be here with these brothers and sisters. That's what we are. Some of us, we haven't even gotten acquainted yet, and others, we've shared some memories and meals and conversations, and, but we're learning to live more and more like you, with a kingdom focus and, and a really boots-on-the-ground approach to living out the faith we profess and live and believe. And so in these next few minutes, Lord, as you just uh, give us an opportunity to see the opportunity to trust you in, in a desperate faith and see your amazing grace, I pray that that would come true as we see this in your word. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. I remember it as if it happened yesterday, although it's been 27 years. My wife and I were first-time parents. Our daughter was three and a half months old. And she, she was failure to thrive. Uh, Dr. Barker is here. He can tell you everything about babies that you need to know. But she, she was born small, uh, and she really was in the lowest percentile. And we took her to doctors, and nothing was wrong. And, and finally, and I'm, I'm abbreviating a very long story, we went to see a pediatrician one day. And uh, I'm convinced to this day that he, just to appease us, said, Mr. and Mrs. Dick, he says, you know what, I'll, I'll run some tests on your daughter. Her name is Michaela. And uh, it's going to be fine, but um, we'll just see if there's anything going on. So, okay, that was great with us, but we hadn't made any plans to stay. Uh, the doctor, in this case, the pediatrician was 120 miles from where we lived at the time. I was a farmer at the time. And uh, so uh, my wife decided to stay with Michaela there. In the, they would admit her in the hospital, do some tests on her. And then I went back home. Uh, my wife's mom had come with us that day. We'd get some clothes and come back. And what I remember is when I got home, this is before cell phones, so I don't know if any of you even can imagine an era without cell phones, but we, there was one. When I got home that night and the phone rang, and it was my wife, I remember sitting on the edge of the bed as she explained to me what the doctor had found. 
He's like, what? Well, he did an x-ray on her heart. Okay, great. Well, one side of her heart is huge and the other side is small. There's something really wrong. And you're going like, what? There's got to be a pill or a shot or something for this. And you're first-time parents. You, you don't know your, you know, everybody in, the, every, everybody in our church had an opinion of how this, she was going to be fine, need to do this, you know, all the good advice that the church ladies give. like, my daughter needs open-heart surgery. And you're sitting just in shock on the edge of the bed and go, that happens to other people. That doesn't happen to us. So through that night, he's like, oh my goodness, my whole life has turned upside down. And, and the next morning, I, uh, I packed up some clothes for the two of us. And, and I, I stopped at our, our part, the, our, to see our pastor on the way. And I just remember just crying in front of him. And he was, he was not only our pastor, he was a dear friend of mine. And he just prayed for us. And I raced my way back to this town 120 miles away. And, and there, we were supposed to consider these options. She's going to need open heart surgery. Of course, not here. It was either going to be at the University of Minnesota or Mayo Clinic or in Fargo and um, ended up choosing the University of Minnesota because I had two sisters who were living there. They said, all these options are good. But in that moment, in this, in this desperation, you're going, God, to us, we believe in you. We're Christians. I, I know that bad things happen, but this, we just became parents three and a half months ago and... It, I'll, I'll tell you the end of the story at the end of the message to make sure that you stay for the end of the story, but here's what we found out after surgery. I'll tell you this nugget. The longest any child had lived with the condition she had was four months. And Do you remember how old I told you she was? Three and a half months. We were right at the edge of this window. We didn't even know it. And the day before, we thought we just had a fussy child. What would you do in a situation like that, not, not so much just as parents, but imagine that you're Christians as we were then, and, and I'll assume that most, if not all of you are, what is your prayer like at that time? There, there really, would it make sense if I said this, there really aren't even words. <laughs> it's just kind of a, <laughs> it's emotions, it's feelings, and this, and Lord, I don't know what to pray except help. The, the reason I share that is not just to tug on your emotional strings, and it's amazing. Even as I tell this story 27 years later, it's emotional for me to tell it. Like, man, it must have been so deep. But what happens when we come to a crisis of place in our life, this desperate faith, and say, God, I got nothing. I got nothing. What do you want to do? It's in those moments that God sometimes, always, but sometimes in different ways, shows his amazing grace. And if you, if you took out your notes and you're one who likes to take notes a little bit, there's an insert in there. And the title of this message is simply Desperate Faith, Amazing Grace. In those times when we say, I don't know what else to do, it, it, this is all up to you, Lord. She could live, she could die, but I'm going to trust in you. I don't know. And if I were to survey all of you, and I don't know most of you personally, I bet you have some of those same kind of stories. Hopefully not as horrific as that, but you might have a cancer story or a, maybe you had a child that, that there was some deformity or, or dysfunction in that person's life or a job situation that was just crushing. Maybe you worked somewhere for 30 years and you got fired. And whatever your particular thing is, we bring this to the table this morning and go, God, in those moments... How does the gospel actually work? Right? How does this work? 
Where I'm going to take you to in your Bibles in just a moment, we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark, which is my favorite gospel. This is actually part two of a sermon I preached back in January. I'm sure you all remember it very well. <laughs> Was anybody here in January? <laughs> a few of you were, or maybe online. It's, it's a two-part story, and the first part of the story, if I'll just give you just like a two-minute background of that, is a man named Jairus had come to Jesus, and he was desperate. Does anybody remember what he was desperate about? I don't know if you talk out loud in church here. His daughter was sick. Anybody remember how old his daughter was? Twelve years old, right? So he, he's desperate. He, he's a synagogue ruler. He's not a priest. He's the guy who he, you might call him the worship leader. He organizes the service, he prepares the elements, but he's not the priest. But in that town, he would be a very significant person, probably wealthy. But he comes to Jesus, and, and he just falls down in front of Jesus in Mark chapter 5, and he says, you, Jesus, you've got to come heal my daughter. She's at the point of death. And the, and the expression he uses is, I, I left her back home, but in leaving her, she might be drawing her last breath right now. And Jesus says, basically, Jesus just turns and goes. But do you remember the divine interruption that happened next? This woman who had had this bleeding disorder for, does anybody remember how many years? Twelve? Numbers are always significant in the Bible. Twelve-year-old girl, twelve-year bleeding disorder. She interrupts the whole process, comes up behind Jesus. You remember the story goes, she touches the, the tassel on his garment, she's healed. And everybody's, and Jesus says, who touched me? I felt power grow out from me. The disciples are going, Jesus, are you nuts? There's a crowd of 100 people or 1,000 people around you. You expect us to know who touched you? Everybody's touching you. Jesus turns to her and addresses her, and she says, your faith has made you well. Go and continue being healed is the idea of it. Except part two of the story is there's a man in this crowd who's desperately waiting for Jesus to go to his house. I'm going to be very honest with you. I bet he's not terribly excited that an old woman with a 12-year bleeding disorder just got healed. Why? Because who's at home drawing her last breath? Now you say, well, no, I have great sympathy for anybody and their things. But listen, if my daughter is about to die, I don't care about her. Let's go. His faith is desperate. Again, I'll ask you, have you been in a place where your faith has been desperate? Where, again, it could have been one of your kids. It could have been your health. It could have been your job. It could have been deratio. <laughs> Were you guys desperate last summer when that went through? And now all the cleanup. And I'm looking at your trees this spring and going, oh, this is so sad. And in a time of desperation, does God still show amazing grace? Of course he does. But will he do it for you and me when we need it most? But I want you to look at this, what I'm about, to, and I'm, I am getting to the story. We're going to be in Mark chapter 5 in one minute. I want you to look at the story I'm about to show you, part two, with two lenses. With one lens, I want you to look at your lives at a time when you've been desperate and you've seen God's amazing grace, or maybe you really want to see it or need to see it. That's one lens. Lens number two, I want you to look at your friends and neighbors around you and see if there's times when they are desperate, but they have no faith. This whole journey that you've been on with evangelism shifts, some of you know it, some of you don't, some of you are in life to life, some of you don't. 
God sometimes opens up doors of opportunity through crisis situations where the gospel all of a sudden becomes the only possible answer. And your friend or your neighbor might be the most hard-hearted person that you've ever met, but you know what? When that crisis happens, the door is open for a short period of time. I'll give you one very quick story, then we're going to open our Bibles to Mark chapter 5. I'm in a search and rescue crew. It's a volunteer crew in Devil's Lake, North Dakota, which is where I live. And uh, one of the guys that's been on my list that I've been praying for, trying to engage with, uh, about eight, nine months ago, there's a growth that's been discovered like in his jaw area down here, and the doctor's afraid that it's cancer. This guy, by his own testimony, he's really a nice guy. He's actually funny and fun, and he would give you the shirt off his back, but he calls himself an atheist. I said, you're no atheist. <laughs> you might be an agnostic. You might not know if there's a God. So we, we can tease each other like that. But when this happens, and it might be cancer, he's divorced, he's got one young adult son, all of a sudden his heart's open a little bit, a little bit. So I was saying text messages back and forth, I'm praying for you, thanks, I appreciate that. Really never went any farther, but at that moment, the door was open a little bit. Okay, are you ready to see what's in the scripture now? Matthew chapter 5, verses 35 to 43 is the second part of this story. I've given you the background. I've hopefully set it up in such a way that you're going, again, two lenses for yourself, but for your neighbor, your friend, your coworker, whoever that is. I'm going to just unpack the story as we go, so I'm going to just give it to you bits and pieces of a time. If, you, if you're taking notes, the first part of this outline is called um, simply this, desperation, colon, invitation to believe. When we're desperate, God uses that as a simple invitation to say, Will you believe? Here's verse 35 of Mark chapter 5. And I have the English Standard Version. Whatever you have is hopefully very close. While he was still speaking, that's Jesus. While Jesus was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house. That's Jairus. He's the synagogue ruler. The ruler's house, some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Now, first of all, that's horrible, isn't it? If your daughter was on her last breath and somebody said, oh, she died, don't bother him anymore, what would you do? Honest, can I be real honest? I'd slug the guy. Where are your emotions at this point? I left the house to come and see this teacher who got interrupted by this woman, and you bring me news like that, that she died, and I missed it? Are you crazy? She's, and you don't even want to say the word, do you, if you're that parent? She's gone. But these friends, and I'm sure they meant well, they come up and they said, you don't, don't bother the teacher anymore, because Jesus by now is very popular. This is getting toward the later part of his ministry. The crowds are huge. There might be a thousand people around Jesus right now. He could have healed her, and she died. I'm going to slug the person that brought the news but I don't actually feel too good about Jesus right now either, do I? Can we just be honest? If I'm that parent, I'm like. But look at Jesus' genius in verse 36. But overhearing what they said, Jesus must have been a few feet away, but he heard them talking. Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, that's Jairus, do not fear, only believe. What? What? 
What are you going to do about it now? It's too late. These are the things that I would be thinking if I was Jairus, right? Would you be thinking the same thing? Jesus says, look, don't fear, only believe. If you've ever done any, any, any word study, either formally or informally, the, in, the, in the New Testament, the Greek word for believe and trust and faith is the same word. The Greek word for believe or trust or faith is the same Greek word. You can almost use them interchangeably. It, it's really great how the authors choose the right English word for the right kind of context. But you could really say it something like this. Um, do, uh, do not fear, trust. Do not fear, have faith. Do not fear, believe. You've got to trust me. Jesus, what for? The thing I came to you for to help you to have you do something. What are you going to do? Do you remember what I said? This is genius on Jesus part. Because and if you know the Bible story, you know what's going to come next. But listen. This man had enough faith for Jesus to heal his daughter. Does he have enough faith to raise her from the dead? And it's not about quantity of faith. It's about Jesus demonstrating who he is in such spectacular ways. Now, I, I don't know how you all fall on some of the miraculous gifts or the sign gifts. And, and it's been kind of an interesting journey for me. But I have a friend of mine who said, you know what? Whether you're, you're charismatic or not or whether you believe in God's ability to heal or raise people from the dead or not, he says, you believe in healing. And he said, you know how I know? I, you, do you know how I know that you do? He said, because every time somebody goes in for surgery, what do you do? I'm going to pray for your healing. You believe in healing. You just don't ever assume God's going to do it miraculously. I'm like, huh, I guess I do. But to raise somebody from the dead? My little girl. In fact, I don't know if you remember this, and I don't, didn't make any big news or anything, but there's a church that I kind of follow in California, and some of the messages I listen to, they, they really stretch me. It's really good. They're more of a charismatic church. Um, but one of their staff members, little two-year-old girl, died. This was like nine, ten months ago. And they, they believed that God could raise this little girl from the dead. So their church went about praying for this little girl to be raised from the dead. And you know what the response of the Christian media was? Why would you do that? Theologians were weighing in and saying, well, of course God can heal. And of course God can raise people from the dead. But this is foolish. This, this, and I'm paraphrasing what, the, what these reports were. You, you don't do that. You need to learn how to grieve. You need to let this child go. And I'm like, this is Christians talking. Jesus told his disciples, after I'm gone, you're going to do things that are greater than I did. And I'm like, you're nuts. You're Jesus. And that might be in quantity. It might be in quality. But it's like, listen, why does the Christian community keep shooting ourselves in the foot and going, God isn't going to do that. You need to learn how to grieve. It's like of all people, I would expect the national media to go, that's dumb. I don't expect the Christian media to go, that's dumb. But Jairus is, is completely torn up and he's grieved by this and he's in a desperate place. And Jesus is giving him an invitation to believe. Let me go off track and give you a couple of examples of this in Scripture. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And you help me fill in the blank with this. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. 
not unlikely, not well, highly unusual. The word is impossible. It's just been in the last couple of years where this verse has been like a, a baseball bat to my head. Is like, Bruce, if you don't trust him. Now, again, confession on my part. I'm a German Mennonite by background, right? In, in our background, and I and actually I appreciate it. So I'm not slamming them per se or slamming us per se. But we were taught that when the going gets tough, the... You know these phrases, too. And, and, and when things are tough, you pull yourself up by your, you know that one, too, right? That's my background. If you get in trouble, fix it. A, a friend of mine gave me this line a number of years ago. We, we think of this spiritually. Thanks, God, for saving me, but I'll take it from here. Have you heard that before? That one slapped me across the face, too. I have built into me, thankfully, a very strong work ethic. I don't feel good when I'm not working. But in order for God to work, he sometimes puts us in a place where we can't. Right? So without faith, it is impossible to please him. Here, here's Jesus in John 6, 63. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The New Living Translation translates, translates, it like this, translates it like this. The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. Think about Jesus and Lazarus. The same basic time frame as all this is happening. Remember the story of Lazarus? Word comes to Jesus, hey, Lazarus and Mary and Martha are three of his best friends. Jesus is ministering somewhere away. Word comes to him, Lazarus is very sick. Please, please come. And Jesus, instead of coming, he waits two more days before he starts the journey back. And so by the time Jesus gets back, Lazarus has been in the grave. Does anyone remember how many days? Four. And, and what does uh, Martha, I believe, Martha runs out to him. And basically, she's frustrated and said, why didn't you come right away? If you had come, he wouldn't have died. And you know what Jesus says in reply? This is just, this is beautiful. In John eleven four, 4, Jesus said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And then in, in the same chapter, 10 verses later, Jesus says this. Um, before leaving on the journey to go to Lazarus, Jesus says, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. Let's go to him. How callous is that of Jesus to have said that? I'm glad I wasn't there. He didn't say it like that, did he? I'm glad I wasn't there. Because now you have a chance to believe like you've never believed before. And he gets up to that grave, and you know, he says, Lazarus, come forth. Do you think anybody, his disciples or anybody, thought that Lazarus would come walking out of that grave? I have to admit, I don't think I would have been one. In our desperation, God is giving us an invitation to believe, to trust, to have faith. So, so what is it for you? Let me ask you that question. Is, again, two lenses, so let's talk about you and me first. In your life, are you in, have you been in, someday will you be in a situation that is so desperate that the only thing you have is this guttural cry back to God and going, I've got nothing. 
It's as if the Holy Spirit is saying to you, trust me, it may not turn out the way you want. It might be more miraculous than you have in mind. I've got this. Lens number two. Is there anybody, your friend, neighborhood, work, school situation that you have an, a, a, some kind of connection with where they're in a desperate situation, they don't know the Lord, and you've got a window of opportunity that opens up just a little bit to say, listen, I know this is horrible. But God can do amazing things. You're still with me? You're still awake? Ready for the next part of this story? From verses 37 to 40, the outline point, if you're taking notes, is this. Opportunity, colon, changing expectations. So we've got the desperation and an invitation to trust, but now Jesus is going to present them with an opportunity, but they're going to have to change their expectations. Both lenses are going to be important for that. So verse 37, Jesus had just said, do not fear, only believe. And then verse 37, he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. So they're still in this village or however far they are from Jairus' home. And he says, you guys, come here with me. Everybody else, you stay right here. I'm going on alone, but you three guys come. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, that's Jairus' home, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly, which is exactly what you'd expect after, over the death of a 12-year-old little girl. Except there's a cultural thing here that I wouldn't have known, and you probably don't either unless you've studied this. Actually, when somebody dies, you pay people to come and mourn for you. Did you know that? Depending on how wealthy you are, you would hire people to cry. You would hire people to play the flute. You would hire people to tear their clothes or to throw dust on themselves because that's part of their culture and that's how it works. So while they are crying in grief, there's... Jairus is probably influential enough. The minimum is two. Even if you're, here's the trivia. That's probably the only thing you'll remember this morning, even though it's completely trivia. You had to have at least one mourner and two flute players when somebody dies. Jairus is probably wealthy enough. There's probably a whole handful of people there mourning and crying and playing the flute and oh, this and this and this and this. So it's into this chaos and this commotion that Jesus comes. That was the end of verse 38. And when he entered, so he's gone into the house, he said to them, now this, this is just dumb. Why are you making commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Right. And who made you doctor for the day, Jesus? You're a teacher. You're a rabbi. We like you. You tell good stories. You do interesting things. Right. And do you see what the response is of them in verse 40? And they, what did they do? I thought they were crying. They turned the spigot off long enough to laugh at Jesus and go, you're nuts. You're crazy. Uh, if anybody checked, and I've been a pastor, I was a pastor long enough where I've been present when people have left this life. It is not a pleasant sight. They, they look pasty, and I'm not. She's dead. But Jesus, as our outline point says, is giving an opportunity and he's going to change their expectations. And when Jesus says that she's sleeping, it reminds me of something the Apostle Paul did. And I, I always share this scripture at funerals of people that I know that are believers. Paul, in his letter to the Thessalonians, he writes these words. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. 
that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. And then half a sentence later, Paul says, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. See, the Christian looks at death differently than the world does, don't we? In, in our community, uh, a good friend of mine, uh, his wife, 39 years old, passed away of cancer about three weeks ago. We journeyed with them for a long time, and um, he's got four kids. The, the youngest one is still in elementary school, and it's just so sad. And he's a believer, and his faith is strong. His wife's faith was strong. She went through this whole chemo journey. She believed God was going to heal her, and... and, and um, it's sad, but her name is Lakeisha. They're, they're Native American. They're dear friends. From the moment that she passed, he goes, she's with the Lord. There's something different about death for the Christian. And, and I don't know the status of this little girl in the story, so I'm kind of juxtaposed, juxtaposed, whatever that word is, <laughs> putting one piece of a story into another. But for the believer, again, the two lenses we're looking at, how about you in the desperate times that you're in and you have an opportunity to express your faith, God is saying, can I change your expectations? Or the other lens, the person that's your neighbor, friend, coworker, school person, is this an opportunity for them to have their expectations changed? But people are laughing at Jesus and going, are you crazy? This stuff doesn't happen. But honestly, if Jesus is who he says he is, Somebody in that room should be going, oh boy, this is going to be good. Oh boy, I wonder what he's going to do next. So here comes the, the, third, the final section, verses 41 to 43. To God be the glory, colon, amazing grace. Verse 41. Oh, I didn't finish verse 40, did I? They laughed at him. <clears throat> he put them all outside to get out took the child's father and mother, those who were with him, so his three disciples, and they went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, I'm not sure if that's the right way to pronounce it, it's Arabic, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. The second word of verse 42 is what? At least for me, it's the second word. It starts with I, immediately. Immediately the girl got up, began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with, what's the next word? What does it say? Mine says amazement. What translation may be Astonishment. Both would be just perfect. They're like blown away. And then Jesus does something really interesting. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Wouldn't you and I have alerted the media? Called in the press? I don't know what your local, my, my home TV station would be, Channel 8, WDAZ News. We should call them in and get them here. Our daughter's alive. Jesus said, don't, don't tell anybody. How do you keep a lid on a story like that? And by the way, just to make sure, why would he tell her get something to eat? To demonstrate that she's alive. Hey, are you okay? Yeah, I feel fine. She was walking around the room. I think you're probably like me and going, boy, wouldn't it be amazing if God would do that to a friend of mine or Lakeisha if he had done that to her? I don't know why God chooses to do what he does when he does. But I do know this. He invites us to trust him. 
He invites us to, to put our faith in him, to, to believe in him, to trust in him when nothing else makes sense. I'll give you an ex another example before we, I'll start to tie this together and be done. Um, something happened to me three months ago. Uh, there, uh, the, my eye doctor that I have in Devil's Lake, I really like him. He's a great young man. He's probably in his mid to late 30s. Um, I had heard that he was recently divorced. They have two young kids. And when I go for my annual checkup, he and I, he knows that I, I'm a details guy. So he brings out the charts and the pictures of the eyeball that tell me what's going on in my eye. And, like, and we just have this great conversation. But one day, all of a sudden, I start to see they're called floaters in your eye. Those of you who are my age or so, anybody had those? And like, dude, there's something floating around in my eye. So I made an appointment to go see him, and he had time that day to see me. And, and he goes, what are, you, what are you here for? And he goes, I said, there's something floating around in my eye. I said, oh, let's take a good look. And so they dilate your pupils. You ever had the drops in your eye to open your eyeballs up? And that takes about 15 minutes. And normally he'll go see another patient while my eyes are expanding. But he must have had time that day. So he sat and busy. He goes, hey, what do you know about? And he knows that I, I used to be a pastor. He says, do you know anything about personality profiles? I go, yeah, I love them. And he says, yeah, well, I've been doing this one. And here's what I am. He said, do you know what you are? I said, yeah, I know what I am. And he says, because I don't know if you know, he says, but I've recently been divorced, and uh, so I'm trying to figure out what's wrong with me, and I'm going in this, and I'm like, oh, here's the irony. When I, before I went to the doctor, I told my wife, Trudy, some of you have met her, I said, Trudy, I'm looking for an opportunity to talk to Blaine. His name is Blaine. I'm looking for an opportunity. Would you pray that I have a chance for an open door, something here to connect with him? Invite him out for lunch. Anyway, for an hour, I'm in there. We're talking about personality profiles. He's... All of a sudden, he's just opening up on his life and, and telling me this stuff. And uh, anyway, long story short, the floaters is like, he said, oh, yeah, here's what's happening. It's not a big deal. It's going to be fine. Your brain's going to forget about it. You're going to be okay. I get to the end of the appointment an hour later, and I said, Blaine, here's the deal. Or doc, I called him doctor. It was respectful. I came here today, and I, I was going to ask you out, out for lunch, and I wondered if you had time to go out for lunch. And he goes, that'd be great. I said, when are you free? And he says, actually, tomorrow I'm free. And inside, you're going, whoa. <laughs> I thought he'd say, like, next week, I'll call you. Uh, he happens to get an hour and a half for lunch. So after our hour conversation in his chair, we had an hour and a half lunch the next day at a local restaurant. I nibbled that face. It was so, I don't even like talking about him because, like, what if he'd ever hear about it? I don't want him to know that I'm talking about him, but I'll trust that he's not going to hear this. I, I nibbled on the areas of faith with him, and it, it's so obvious there's one piece missing in his life in this whole sad thing with his kids, and it's faith. Basically, he's an empty, he's an empty book. There's nothing there. So I had another lunch with him about a month later, and I, I said, you know, I love conversations about faith. I said, if you'd be interested in going there with me, he says, thanks. He says, I'm not quite ready for that yet. And I'm like, oh, my Lord. Because I live in the community, I see him, I've got his phone number, it's about time for me to text him and, and challenge again. But look, look, here's why I'm telling you this story, it's not to pat myself on the back. God used a floater in my eye to open a conversation about faith with my eye doctor. See, you and I look at the things that happen to us as just stuff. You know, that happens, oh, I stub my toe, I need to go to the doctor, see this or that, or... You know, I need to go see my teacher because my kid is doing this or that or the other. If we went into those situations and go, Lord, is this, an op is this a faith opportunity to see your amazing grace? 
Now, my floater wasn't, well, it was a little desperate for me for a while. I was like, am I going to go blind? And he's like, how about you? Again, two lenses that we're looking through this message with, yours. Let's, so let's talk about you and me. Is there something desperate that's going on in your life right now? I don't care how young or old you are where you're going, I got no answers for this. Is it that God is saying, you got to trust me in this. I know what I'm doing. It may turn out like this or that. Oh, could I finish the story on our daughter? She had a... She's nine and a half pounds at three and a half months. Her surgeon was six feet, six inches tall with hands huger than mine. And I said, how do you do that? And he goes, it's what I do. I'm good at it. Her veins from her lungs to her heart were not attached to her heart. So one side of her heart was doing all the other work and the other side was not. So he cut a hole in the top of her tiny little heart took this cluster of veins, sewed them in there in a way big enough to allow for growth. But now one side of the heart's bigger than the other side, so they had to get this experimental drug so that when she came off the machine, the big side of the heart that was working so hard would slow down while the small part would start speeding up. Ten-hour ten surgery. Our daughter is no complications, uh, smart. She's a physical therapist, straight-A student. And you go... You're amazing. However, three weeks that she was in the hospital, the little baby girl in the next door to ours passed away. Why do you do what you do? Why did you let us have her for 27 and a half years and that family went home to do a funeral? I don't know. But you've got a friend or a neighbor who's probably going through a crisis too, and you just might be that little ray of light. You might not get to share the gospel. You might, if the door's open, go there. They just might need a friend who comes around them and says, I care about it. Can I pray for you? You know what? Of all the people that I've asked to pray, can I pray for you? I've only had a couple of people in all that time say, no, I'm good, thanks. Most people go, well, that's really nice, thank you. Our desperation can turn into an opportunity for the gospel because it's all about faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these dear people who worship here together, who have a heart for this part of Cedar Rapids. Some live near, some live far. But Father, that you are planting them here to be ambassadors of your amazing grace and the faith that you demonstrate in so powerful a ways. As our time with evangelism shift is coming to an end, formally anyway, may the seeds planted here bring forth a harvest for years and years to come. May this be, may Cedar Rapids be the Antioch of a movement here in the United States because of opportunities of desperation to see your amazing grace. And it's in that name we pray. Amen. Team.